Welcome in everybody to episode 184 of the podcast that is Sweeping America, the Aratora Sports Podcast. What a great show I have for you today. Coming off our live show from Legacy's in Vegas on Sunday, if it's possible to top it, which I don't know if it is, but if it's possible, I have done it today. We have a huge guest. We have a major guest, one of the most marquee guests that I've ever had on this show, Bob Stoops, national championship winning coach at Oklahoma, joins the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. At the end of the show, we talk all sorts of good stuff. We talk about his time at Oklahoma recruiting Adrian Peterson, recruiting Baker Mayfield, what he saw in Lincoln Riley that led him to hire Lincoln Riley, which led Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma to all the success they're having today. We talk about his relationship with his brother, Mark Stoops. Does he think Mark could potentially follow a similar career trajectory to him and stay in college and stay at one college, specifically Kentucky, forever? By the way, not going to lie, last question I asked him if he thinks he'd ever coach football again at the college level, did not seem very happy with your boy AT. So uh, he couldn't have gotten off the phone any faster, but hey, those are the tough questions that you get on the AT podcast. Listen, this is some hard-hitting journalism we do here. No, I'm just kidding, it's not. We usually keep it pretty light, but Bob Stoops later in the show, before we get to Bob Stoops, a lot to get into. Obviously, on Monday's show, I talked about Kansas potentially getting hit with major NCAA violations. Well, the notice of allegations, the report from the NCAA has come, and Kansas is in big trouble. Bill Self is in big trouble. And so I will actually lead off the show with that today. I'm going to talk a little bit about an interesting development in college football where, you know, I'm not going to lie, we might have a little bit of tanking going on in college football, a first of its kind, but a really, really interesting kind of deal going on at the University of Houston. I will wrap with my week five. We are in week five. We are now a third of the way through the college football season, and week five college football picks. I probably won't do a ton of previews because there really aren't, again, that many marquee games. I know that Washington-USC is a matchup of top 25 teams. No, Notre Dame, Virginia is a matchup of top 25 teams, but it doesn't feel like there are those big games that warrant the big, big, big breakdown. So instead, I will stick with the relatively quick rundown of what I think, what I think is going to go down this weekend and what my picks are. Before we get into all that, I want to remind you, like I always do, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict if you have an Android. Podcast Addict is where I go to listen to this show. You can go to TuneIn Radio. You can stream on Pod Paradise. You can go to Spotify. Basically, anywhere you want to listen to your podcast, this show is available. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. It really is appreciated. Thank you to all you who have done that so far. Also, Instagram. The Instagram page is popping, baby. If you were there, you saw me out in Vegas this weekend. It was a lot of fun. And the Instagram page is Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Pictures, videos, previews, everything coming up. And of course, if you have questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I think next episode, if nothing crazy happens with Kansas or with college football, I will do I will answer the questions that have been in that um, mailbox for a while. So maybe we'll do some mail questions on Monday. But again, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram and Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, so let's get into this. The big story I think in all of college sports right now is the fate of Kansas basketball. And I told you, Friday, first of all, been telling you for a year, Kansas was of everyone involved in the NCAA uh, FBI trial, Bill Self was the most obvious and egregious rule breaker that we know of. Now, as I've said many times, I don't think Sean Miller's an innocent man. I don't think Rick Pitino is an innocent man. I don't think Will Wade is an innocent man. But in terms of actual, provable, tangible knowledge, I have been basically the only one saying for a year that Bill Self has more skeletons in his closet, skeletons in his public closet, than 
anybody else in college basketball. And the national media, I don't know whether they're just defending Bill Self. They like Bill Self. They don't want to tell the truth. They want to make sure they get access to Kansas. I'm just telling you like it is because I always tell it like it is. And if it was Dan Hurley at UConn at my alma mater, I would say the same thing. If he got caught sending those texts, if it was John Calipari at Kentucky, if it was my boy, any of the, 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 the coaches that have been on this show that I consider to be my friends, the only thing I have in this world is my integrity. The reason you guys listen to this show is because I always tell the truth, whether it hurts uh, you know people close to me or not, because the truth, as they say, shall set you free. And speaking of free... Uh, Bill Self may be free to uh, go pursue some other jobs here in a couple years because I don't know how much longer he is going to last at Kansas. And so let me back up. Let me explain everything that's happened. I kind of gave you an overview late last week or on Monday's show, which again was live from Legacy's in Vegas. Great, great, great trip. I'll be back out there in March for the NCAA tournament. Um, but let me backtrack. Let me explain. Let me explain what Bill Self got caught doing, what the NCAA says he's going to do, and what they hit him with, what it means going forward for Kansas, what it means for Bill Self going forward. And I should start kind of by saying very simply, Bill Self and Kansas were hit, as as was reported on Friday by the Kansas City Star, with major NCAA rules violations. Four level one violations, which are the worst of their kind, uh, Bill Self was hit with the Head Coach Responsibility Act, which basically says that you are now, these are new rules put in by the NCAA, that you are responsible for the actions of your assistant coaches. You can't pull the Rick Patino, Andre McGee, I had no idea what he was doing. Well, he works for you, you're responsible for him, so the NCAA put in new rules, although in Bill Self's case, you don't need him because Bill Self was handling stuff himself, and then, oh, by the way, Kansas itself got hit with lack of institutional control because basically the administration admitted and put in memos that the Adidas reps that were hanging around campus probably weren't the best guys and the best for, for Kansas basketball. And yet they never reported him to the NCAA. They never told him to leave. And so Kansas got hit with lack of institutional control. Bill Self with the head coach responsibility and it's really, really, really grave at Kansas right now. And so let me explain again, as I just said, what Bill Self did to try to explain it, give you some context, and then I'll explain what it means going forward. So as I told you, I told you a year ago, and this is where this all stems from. Remember, the FBI trials happened last year, and the big takeaway from the FBI trials was that anything that came out in those FBI trials could now be used by the NCAA to potentially punish the programs that were basically under NCAA jurisdiction, right? So in previous instances, nobody would have ever been able to get access to Bill Self's text, but they came out in a court transcript, and as I've told you many times, Bill Self texting with a representative from Adidas, basically said, I got to get me a couple, I'm, I'm happy with Adidas, but I gotta just got to get us a couple real guys. That was his direct quote, got to get us a couple real guys. That was, of course, when TJ Gasanola, who worked for Adidas, said, Kansas is always my number one priority. We take care of you. I've never let you down except with DeAndre Ayton. And so as soon as those texts came out, I said, man, that's a real bad look for Bill Self. Because say what you want about Rick Pitino, but he lets his assistants handle the dirty stuff. Say what you want about Sean Miller. Right now, his fingerprints aren't on anything. But Bill Self texting Adidas, I got to get me some real dudes. The Adidas guy saying, I've never let you down except for one time. And I don't know how you can interpret it in any other way. Other than, why? so, so let's just let, let's explain why just let's just think about this if you're even if you're a diehard Kansas fan what could Bill Self possibly mean by we got to get us some real dudes and why would he be texting it to an Adidas rep unless the Adidas rep is helping him get players from Adidas perspective why would Adidas respond back I've never let you down except for DeAndre Ayton unless Adidas is helping them get players and so from the day those texts were released, I said, that's really bad for Kansas. I wrote about it October 16th of last year. I put the tweet out this week with the article. 
I put out an article that said the NCAA has got to come down on Kansas on October 16th of 2018 because it was so obvious what had happened. Nobody calls Bill Self out. Nothing ever comes of it. But oh, by the way, then you know what happens after that? So the player that Bill Self and TJ Gastonola were texting about was Silvio D'Souza. We got to get us a couple real guys. TJ Gastonola says, I've never let you down. They're talking about Silvio D'Souza. Then there is a lengthy text message exchange in the lead up to Silvio D'Souza's commitment between Bill Self, his lead assistant Curtis Townsend, TJ Gastonola, and Silvio D'Souza's guardian. And in that, the guardian was given money to send Silvio D'Souza to Kansas. Okay? And so, of course, again, Bill Self claims he has no idea, but here's the problem with that. Remember, it came out that Silvio D'Souza was alleged to have taken this stuff, or his guardian was. I won't blame Silvio D'Souza. I've told you this before. The kid is 18 years old. He's from Angola in Africa. I don't think that he knows what's going on behind the scenes in major college basketball. And I think the adults behind the scenes were working to get money to get him to Kansas. So I don't blame Silvio D'Souza. He is a pawn in the game. But if you remember, Silvio D'Souza, when it came out that his guardian took money, was given a two-year suspension. And so this is the ironic part, which nobody is talking about except for me because I'm Nostratoras. I get it right all the time. People get it wrong. They're chasing my tail. Hey, whatever. No big deal. But if you remember... Kansas appealed to the NCAA and said this two-year, this a two-year suspension for this kid is ridiculous. So originally D'Souza was going to have to sit out all of last year and all of this year, and then if he was still on campus, which I don't think he would have been, he would have been eligible to return next next year. Kansas appeals and they basically get the NCAA to chop off a year. So Silvio D'Souza has been reinstated; he's allowed to play this year. But in the process of doing that, Kansas had to admit yeah, you know what? This kid actually did get money to go here. And we're really sorry. We're going to suspend him for a year, but throw some mercy on us um, because we don't think the kid should be suspended for two years, which by the way, I agree with. He shouldn't have been suspended for two years. But here's the thing that Kansas fans don't want to admit and they get mad when you bring it up. By asking for forgiveness, Kansas admitted that he took money. And so it goes back to How do we know he got money? Well, there's text messages with Bill Self and TJ Gasanola and Bill Self's lead assistant, Curtis Townsend. And so I bring that up because it is the great irony in all of this is that by appealing to the NCAA, if if Kansas had just thrown Silvio D'Souza under the bus, and I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they went to bat for him. They had just said, look, we don't know what happened with this kid. We don't know what self was texting this guy. This guy Gasanola knows nothing. Then all of a sudden, there really, you know, there isn't as much of an argument against Bill Self. But instead they said, no, you know, those text messages were right. TJ Gasanola did give the family money, but Bill Self had no idea. And that was the the funniest, silliest, most absurd part of all of this is the idea that, yes, there's a very linear text message exchange between Bill Self, his lead assistant, Curtis Townsend, TJ Gasanola, and Silvio D'Souza's guardian leads up to the day that Silvio D'Souza is signed. And all of a sudden, um, Kansas is now trying to claim that even with all that text message exchange, that Bill Self had nothing to do with it. And the NCAA, to their credit, basically saw through the BS the way that I saw through the BS a year ago and said, you're really, you're going to tell us that you had nothing to do with it when we got this chain of texts, and they actually referenced the texts in the notice of allegations, which was sent on Monday. So again, the NCA sent a report to Kansas basically acknowledging uh, the NCA to backtrack, has gone ahead, they've spent the last few months investigating Kansas, and the notice of allegations, which they sent on Monday basically lays out everything that they think that Kansas did wrong. And this was one of them. They used the text messages to say, like, come on, man, you really think that we think that you admitted to paying Silvio D'Souza, that, it, that you admitted that Adidas paid Silvio D'Souza to come here, but that Bill Self had no idea? Get out of here, man. Get out of here, Bill Self. And so I will give credit to the NCAA because they just didn't see, they saw through the nonsense, and they saw it was ridiculous to say one but not the other, and now Bill Self is in major trouble. 
And there's other allegations I should add too. Apparently, TJ Gasanola, his boss, Jim Gatto, who was also arrested, there was a third guy, I want to say his last name was Cutler. I don't want I don't want to name his name because I don't want to get it wrong and put somebody out that isn't that guy, but that somebody else from Adidas was recruiting for Kansas, was basically saying, hey, if you want to go to Kansas, we'll take care of you. And ever since then, and so the NCAA comes down and they just throw the book at Kansas. I would also add, like I said earlier, that they even said that on top of everything else, Kansas officials were aware that these Adidas guys were running around campus, hanging out with recruits, realizing that they probably shouldn't have been hanging out with them, and they should have reported them but didn't. There was internal emails saying, we don't know who these guys are. We don't think they're good. They're, they're good representation of the university. They may be considered boosters, but then... They didn't report them. So Kansas itself could get in trouble. Bill Self itself could get in trouble. Now, let's talk about what's going forward. So I've explained what happened. I've explained what the NCAA is saying. Now let's talk about what could potentially happen going forward because to me, that is, I think, the significantly more interesting part. So first off, Kansas is going to appeal these suspensions because of course they are, right? Like, say what you want about Bill Self. That guy can can diagram a play, man. Like, like he is a good X's and O coach, no matter how he's getting his players, which we're going to get to in a minute. But Kansas is going to go to bat for him. They've already said the allegations are ridiculous. But I don't really know what their argument will be. So the next step in this actual process, Kansas has received the notice of allegations. They have 90 days to appeal. So again, for people, and I mentioned this last week, but I'll say it again, or last episode on Monday, I'll say it again. For anyone that thinks that like Kansas is going to get the book thrown at them today or tomorrow or Friday or Sunday, like it ain't going to happen. Kansas has 90 days to appeal, so they will take that full time. So that already puts us to mid-December. A Kansas will appeal, basically try to claim why the NCAA's allegations are wrong. Then from there, the NCAA has another 60 days to respond. So by that point, we're already talking mid to late February. And then once you go back and forth and, and you, you have all your hearings, uh, it's probably going to drag into April or May of next year. So again, if you think that something is coming down the pike today or tomorrow, it's not going to happen. But... I don't know what Kansas's argument is here. Like, like, wh- what can they possibly argue when there is a text chain connecting Bill Self directly? And again, this isn't Rick Pitino and Andre McGee. This isn't Sean Miller and Book Richardson. This isn't Bruce Pearl and Chuck Person. This is Bill Self directly. And so I don't know exactly what their argument is going to be when all the evidence points directly to Bill Self talking to the talking to the Adidas guy. The Adidas guy pays the kid. The kid commits. What's the argument? How are you going to defend yourself? Now, the only thing that Kansas has going for him is that I will say TJ Gasanola did appear in court. He did appear on the witness stand and he claims that Bill Self had no idea. Now, look, I understand that he said that under oath, and you know the NCAA is going to have to basically prove that he committed perjury, but I don't think, based on the information that we have, that it's inconceivable that the NCAA just says, we don't buy that. Yes, he took a bullet for you, but come on, you really think that we didn't, that you didn't know about Silvio D'Souza getting paid when you were talking to TJ Gasanola in the lead-up to the recruitment? Come on, man. And so the question becomes, down the road, in a year, whenever the NCAA rules on this, what could potentially happen next? And I think it's fascinating because under these head coach responsibility rules, which are new, which do hold the head coaches accountable, which again are basically saying, hey, you can't pull the Rick Pitino, Andre McGee, my guy was, was it going rogue and I, and I had no idea what he was doing card. You can't play that game anymore. And so what happens with Bill Self? I don't know. But what I can tell you is that under these new rules that have been put into place since this FBI thing happened, a school can get up to five years of a postseason ban and a head coach can get a show cause of up to a year. Now, they're not going to get a five-year tournament ban. That is absurd. That's not going to happen. But Bill Self, I think, is looking at a very sizable suspension. I think it could be up 
to that full year if he is found completely guilty of what he is being accused of. Now, will he, will he get that full year? I don't know, but I think it is in play. And then the question becomes, if he does get that full year, does Kansas stick by him? Do they continue to go to bat for him? And if they do, does he even want to stay if he's suspended for a full year? That's the fascinating thing to me. I think he's looking at a sizable suspension, certainly at least a half a year. If Jim Beheim can get nine games and Larry Brown can get nine games, I think Bill Self being caught in the act red-handed will get at least half a season, maybe a full season, and then it becomes the question of, does Kansas want to stick by this guy for all that time? Does Bill Self want to sit out for a year in his 50s when, by the way, he's been rumored to be a guy that could potentially go to the NBA? I don't know. There are no good answers to those questions, but I think it is very possible that those text messages are the beginning of the end of Bill Self. A couple other notes that I think are really interesting with Bill Self. I was talking to a coach about this on Wednesday, Tuesday night, because it's Wednesday night today as I record. Um, if you look at Kansas's recruiting, and by the way, shout out to one of my listeners uh, who also mentioned this, Mark Collier, I believe was his name, is he said this. He said, by the way, have you noticed Kansas's recruiting since Bill Self got caught up in this FBI probe? And I was talking to a coach about this last night. Is You look at the 2019 class, the one that just finished up, Kansas didn't have a single top 100 recruit until very, very, very late in the process. They got two really late. One was a kid that was committed to Michigan. When John Beeline left, the kid went there. And then the other one was a kid from overseas who came to America to play college basketball. But I bring that up because I do find it interesting in a world where Louisville has not missed a beat in recruiting where Arizona has not missed a beat in recruiting, where Auburn is still recruiting at a high level, Kansas can't get anybody. And the little scuttlebutt, you know, you guys know I always take you behind the scenes. The little scuttlebutt in college basketball right now is maybe Kansas can't recruit if Adidas isn't doing their recruiting for them. And I'm not accusing them of anything. I'm not convicting Bill Self before the NCAA does. But it is awfully interesting that all these other programs are continuing to recruit at a high level and Kansas can't get anybody. I would also add, they got no top 100 commits for the class of 2020. Meanwhile, North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky all have multiple five stars committed in the class of 2020. And listen, again, I'm telling you, I'm not saying, I'm not accusing Bill Self of anything. But there is a big conversation going on behind the scenes that at Kansas, they, they can't recruit unless Adidas is recruiting for them. So it's something to watch out for. Something is coming down with Bill Self. And let's give the NCAA credit for this. I think we all thought, myself included, I know a lot of you do because you've reached out to me, is there is no way the NCAA is going to come after Kansas. It's a blue blood. They, they didn't, nothing happened to North Carolina. Nothing happened to some of these other big time programs. Nothing's going to happen to Kansas. Well, give credit to the NCAA. They basically said, no, 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 no. Bill Self, you ain't getting away with this. And I think they very well could come down on Bill Self. I think he's looking at at least a half a season suspension. I think it could be a full season. And again, if it's a full season, does Kansas want to stick by him for a full season while he sits out? Does Bill Self want to sit out for a full season when he's only got about probably 10 good years left before uh, it's retirement time? He's in his mid to late 50s. Maybe he goes to the NBA for five or six years. I don't know. It is going to be fascinating to see. I would add one other note. A lot of you guys are asking me, well, what is Kansas? What does all this mean for all these other programs? Well, first of all, it came out this week that the NCA for right now is going to delay the process on all of the other notices of allegations. So a few weeks ago, they, they gave out NC State, which I talked about on this show. Then they gave out Kansas, but they're delaying all the other ones, which is Louisville, which is Arizona, USC, uh, Auburn. I believe Creighton will be in the mix when it's all said and done. Oklahoma State, they are delaying that process. The reason, I think, is pretty simple. Those early FBI trials really did focus solely on Kansas and NC State. And then as time went on, that we got to the second set of trials, 
And that's where you heard more about LSU. You heard more about Sean Miller and Book Richardson in Arizona. You heard about the Creighton assistant getting involved. You heard about the Clemson assistant getting involved. So that stuff is going to come down, but not for a few more months. So if Kansas isn't even going to get resolved for another year, uh, Louisville and Arizona and those big programs, nothing's going to happen to them for at least another four to five months. But what I would say, it is really interesting to see what happens to these programs, again, based on some of the precedents that have been set with this Bill Self thing. The NCAA is saying, Bill Self, you knew. We have proof you knew, and we are not letting you off the hook. Well, I would add with this, what happens with Sean Miller to Arizona? Now, I've said for multiple, multiple, multiple months now that we still have no smoking gun with Sean Miller. We still have no definitive 100% proof that Sean Miller is has done anything illegal. Now, one of his assistant coaches is in jail, so that's obviously not good. Another coach is on leave because he was accused of academic fraud. That's not good. Uh, but I don't know what happens with, with Sean Miller because, again, if we're holding the other assistant coaches, if we're holding the head coaches accountable for what the assistant coaches are doing, then I don't know how Sean Miller gets off scot-free, even if there's nothing directly connecting him. Although, again, Bill Self has more kind of fingerprints on what's going on than Sean Miller did. I would also add, I think Louisville is interesting for two reasons. One, as I've talked about with Nick Coffey many times on this show, what happens to Louisville considering that the head coach that was there, Rick Pitino, he's gone, right? The AD is gone. And so is there any form of leniency on Louisville because of the fact that they've basically fired everybody that was involved? Now, I would add something else, which I think is interesting, which I haven't heard anybody talk about, which as usual, I think I'm going to be ahead of this as opposed to everybody else. What about Rick Pitino? We're spending so much time talking about Louisville. Rick Pitino very clearly wants to get back into college basketball. And I wouldn't be surprised if when that NCAA report comes out at Louisville that the NCAA recommends, like they did with Bill Self, a show cause for Rick Pitino. I would not be surprised. This is my prediction on, I'm recording here September 25th, you guys are going to listen September 26th, that when this stuff comes out, that Louisville will get hit with something. I don't know if it's a tournament ban, scholarship reductions, whatever. But the NCAA will provide a little bit of leniency because they said, look, you fired your AD, you fired the head coach. I predict that Rick Pitino gets hit with major, major, major sanctions in terms of potentially giving him a show cause, potentially not allowing him to coach anytime in the near future. I don't think the NCAA wants anything to do with this guy. I think that's something to watch out. Everyone's focused on what's going to happen to Louisville. I'm much more interested in what's going to happen to Rick Pitino. All right, let's get into a little bit of college football before we wrap up, before we get to Bob Stoops. Also got a great sponsor I want to tell you about in a minute. But with college football, something really, really, really interesting happened this week. And I know we talk about, oh, you know, does this change anything? Does this, da, 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 da. this is what I'm going to tell you. This is a fascinating story. So you guys remember last year, the NCAA put in this new redshirt rule. And the rule basically states that a kid can play up to four games and still retain that season's worth of eligibility. He can still, if he plays four games and then sits out the rest of the season, he can still get a red shirt and get a fifth year of eligibility if he wants it. And the idea behind it was kind of, listen, at the end of the year, teams are banged up. A freshman hasn't played the first 10 games, but the last game of the season, they need him to go in because they don't have enough bodies. Or they want to get a freshman a couple reps, but they know he's not ready to play, so rather than, than burn his whole redshirt, they would just sit him out. And so the intention was, okay, let's get these freshmen some extra reps, get them in an extra game. Of course, we all know that with every rule comes unintended consequences. And so what happened last year? After four games, a bunch of veterans decided, you know what? I'm not really feeling this thing. I think I'm going to get out of here. Auburn lost one of their top wide receivers. Oklahoma State lost one of their top wide receivers. And most notably, Kelly Bryant left Clemson. Remember the whole Kelly Bryant thing? We talked about it with Nick in the, in the summertime. But Kelly Bryant was the starter at Clemson. He plays four games. Dabo Sweeney decides to bench him. And Kelly Bryant says, well, screw that. I'm out of here. 
I can I can stick I can because I've only played four games I can get another year of eligibility. But if I stay here and you put me in a game, I'm gonna lose that whole year of eligibility. So the unintended consequence was you had guys that were perfectly that were playing that were playing big roles just decide you know what I'm gone. Kelly Bryant, the most notable one, and to be clear, I didn't blame Kelly Bryant because if he played that fifth game, if Trevor Lawrence got hurt, and by the way, Trevor Lawrence got hurt in his first start the following week, all of a sudden, you lose your eligibility, and Kelly Bryant wouldn't have had a chance to play this year. He'd be hope, you know, trying to make an NFL team. Who knows? Now he's tearing it up at Missouri. Good for him. But there was a very interesting story that happened this week. So Derek King is the quarterback at the uh, University of Houston. And so on Monday, I'm getting ready to leave Vegas. I'm about to get in the car. I'm having lunch with my buddy, Bernie Fratto, Fox Sports Radio, great guy. I see this report. Derek King is going to sit out the rest of the year and transfer. And so listen, I'm not going to lie. I freaked out. Keep in mind, he is the starting quarterback at the University of Houston. And I said to myself, man, that dude just quit on the team. Screw that guy. It's one thing if you're Kelly Bryant and you're getting benched and you want to start over somewhere. This guy was playing, his team needs him, and he just quit on him. As it turned out, I was wrong because the report was wrong. So Derek King is not going to transfer. But what he is going to do, he is a senior in his fourth year, but because he hasn't redshirted, what he's actually going to do, because Houston is 1-3, he is going to take a redshirt year. And Houston's best receiver is going to take a redshirt year. And so what people are calling this, this is so fascinating to me, this is such a fascinating twist to this story, is that basically Houston is tanking. Basically what their two best players are saying is, this season's already a wash, we're 1-3, but we think we have a chance to be pretty good next year. And so rather than wasting our eligibility this year, we'll take a red shirt the rest of the year and we'll hope we'll come back and we'll hope the team is better and we hope we have more success, but we're going to give up this year of eligibility for the good of the team to come back next year. And I got to say a couple of things. One, I think it's an incredibly noble thing. So I did a full 180 on Dear uh, King, it was actually a, a full 360, I guess is the, the proper terminology. But I went from this guy is selfish, he doesn't care about his team, to he's actually the ultimate teammate because he's giving up a year of eligibility for the good of the program to come back next year. Now listen, he can always, if he doesn't play again this year, he will have a year of eligibility. He could always enter the transfer portal if he wanted. He's not obligated to come back to Houston, but he says he's going to, so I'll take him for his word at it. And two, there's always, again, like I said, unintended consequences the, the, the starting quarterback uh, that's going to replace him could play really well and take the job. The team, I, I guess in theory, the team could revolt. Um, you know, I've seen others like David Pollock kind of say it's not fair to the, the seniors that can't um, take a red shirt that you've basically quit on them. So it's not this like foolproof idea, but I think it's really fascinating because what people are saying is it's basically tanking in college football. Save all your good players, give them that extra year and hope he comes back. And I think it's something that's fascinating that I think every coach is going to have to consider. Now, look, the best players aren't going to do it, right? Trevor Lawrence is going to take a red shirt because Trevor Lawrence is going to be gone after three years, just like Tua is going to be gone after three years, just like, uh, you know, whoever. Jalen Hurts is gone after this year. I get it. But what I would also say is that there are a lot of teams that if you get off to a 1-3 and three start or a 2-2 two and two start, I think you're going to have to think about this. And again, every situation is different. Every coach is different. Some coaches don't have the luxury. Dana Holgerson is new at Houston. Um, you know, he's got a five-year contract. He's got a ton of guaranteed money. So he's all set. Clay Helton can't just start redshirting guys uh, after four games. Gus Malzahn can't just start redshirting guys after four games. But I do think it's an interesting strategy going forward. And I actually saw my buddy Peter Burns. I want to give him credit. Friend of this show, SEC Network. He brought up the point. Take a team like Texas A&M. They're 2-2 two and two right now. They still have Alabama, Georgia, and LSU on their schedule. They're probably at best going to be 7-5, and five, maybe 6-6. Six and six. Like, is this the time to tell some of your, your players that haven't burned a red shirt, like, maybe we should think about this. Maybe we should get you that extra year so that we can really stack up and make a run 
in 2020 and 2021. I don't know if it will become a thing. And again, one, every situation is different. I just said that for the third time. But two, you also have to factor in recruiting stuff. Like AM, I believe, has one of the top 2020 quarterbacks committed. I think he's committed understanding that AM has a junior quarterback and that he'll be a senior next year, and that within two years, the kid will have a chance to earn that starting quarterback job. So there are caveats, but I just think it's so fascinating. And does this become a thing? Does this become a situation where a coach just says, look, we're one in three, it's not going well, tough schedule ahead, let's gear up for next year, let's get ready to go? I don't know. But I think it's fascinating. I give Houston credit for trying something outside the box. I think it could pay dividends in the wrong pay dividends in the long run. I also give credit to the kids for being willing to consider it, for being willing to put the, the, the instant gratification of this moment aside for the good of the team. It takes a lot for a kid who's been starting basically since his freshman year to say, you know what, I'm going to take the next eight weeks off, come back for another year when I wasn't anticipating it, go through another set of spring practice and fall camp to do this all again, but I give the kid credit. I think it's really cool, and I'm more fascinated to see if other college football programs do this going forward. All right, speaking of other college football programs, let's get to the college football picks. And like I said off the top, it's not a great week for college football. And so rather than sitting here and you know spending five or ten minutes breaking down each individual game, um, instead, I'm just going to kind of go through my picks. And my picks are always available at AaronTorresOnline.com. I post them on the Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. But my picks are basically as follows, and I would backtrack by saying that not a lot of big games on the schedule. I think the big one everyone's intrigued about is Ohio State and Nebraska. Bama plays Ole Miss. Um, South Carolina and Kentucky. Uh, Who else? Penn State, Maryland. Notre Dame, Virginia, which I didn't pick in my picks column, but all right, let's get to the picks. And I'm going to start backwards because Nebraska, Ohio State's probably the most interesting game. I actually think, believe it or not, that that game is interesting. I think Ohio State, as I told you on the show on Monday, I think Ohio State might be the most complete team in college football. They basically rank in the top 10 in every major defensive category, uh, whether it's team-wise, like rush defense, pass defense, whatever. Also in the individual categories like sacks and tackles for loss and things like that. I think they're the best team. Uh, They may may be the most complete team in college football right now. I don't think they have a weakness. Justin Fields, everybody ignores him. Everyone wants to talk about Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts and all the big transfer quarterbacks. Justin Fields, 13 touchdown passes, zero interceptions, 70% completion percentage, six rushing touchdowns. I think Ohio State is significantly better than Nebraska. My pick is the under, because the under is at 67 right now. And I don't think Nebraska scores more than 14 points. I think because it's a road game for Ohio State, the Ohio State University, I think it ends up being, uh, you know, it's Ohio State is relatively held in check. I do think they win something like 35 to 14. The under is the play there. All right, rest of the picks. Let's go back to Friday. Friday night, fun, fun game, Penn State at Maryland. I'm not sold on Penn State at all. So Penn State, of course, if you remember, they lost to Pitt 17-10 to a few weeks ago. Pitt, of course, by the way, to their credit, looks good against Central Florida. But if you know anything about Penn State, you know this. Very good defense, questionable offense. They've played three games so far. The two games they've played against Power 5 teams, Penn State has actually been outgained by the other team and still managed to win. I don't think they're that good. Maryland is at home. This is a huge home game for the University of Maryland. It's a blackout. Uh, everybody's going to be wearing black. I read an article that the student ticket demand is the highest that it has been since 2002. So that gives you some perspective on how big of a game this is. I like Maryland. They're get, um, getting six and a half plus six and a half. I like Maryland to cover at home. Saturday morning, Saturday early afternoon, Arkansas at AM. Arkansas against A&M in Dallas. Okay, so I understand Arkansas lost to San Jose State. It was really, really, really bad. But I'll tell you this. I don't think Texas A&M is very good either. And certainly not on offense. They're really struggling. Kellen Mond has not gotten better now in his second year under Jimbo Fisher. And this is also a series that historically is very close. Past 10 years, uh, since 2010, uh, the only game that has been 
more than this point spread. The point spread is 23 and a half points. Was the year that Texas A&M had Johnny Manziel and Bobby Petrino had just gotten fired at Arkansas for driving his motorcycle into a ditch with a mistress on his back. Arkansas had an interim head coach. So out of the last five years, three games have gone into overtime. Four games have been decided by a touchdown or less. And the only season where it was more than 20 points was the year that A&M had Johnny Manziel. So basically the high point of the program and the low point for Arkansas when they had Bobby Petrino's interim in. I think it's close. I think it's a maybe one to two possession game. I do think A&M wins, but I think Arkansas covers at plus 23 and a half. Same thing in the afternoon, noon kickoff, Texas Tech at Oklahoma. So listen, we all know, we love Oklahoma, we love the pyrotechnics, all this. The over-under 71 points, I'll tell you this, I know Texas Tech, I know what their brand is, but this ain't your father's Texas Tech team, okay? They're struggling to move the ball. Um, They only put up 14 points against Arizona a few weeks ago, and Arizona is even good defensively. I think it's low scoring. To, it's re- low scoring relative for an Oklahoma-Texas Tech game. Texas Tech, to their credit, however, is actually playing real defense. They rank in the top 25 nationally because of it. Kind of a same thing. I like uh, Texas Tech and Oklahoma to play a relatively low scoring game more so than you think. I think Oklahoma wins something like you know, 38 to, to 14 or something like that. But I don't think it's 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 a, a shootout the way that we would think of an, a Texas Tech-Oklahoma game in the past. The under is the play there. USC at Washington. I like Washington minus 10 here. I'll tell you why. I know USC is coming off the big win over Utah. I get it. But if you look at every statistic from that game, every meaningful statistic says USC should have lost. They were outgained. Uh, Utah had a turnover in the red zone. Uh, USC basically scored all of their points on chunk plays. I just don't buy that USC is that good. Um, they're going on the road. Washington, as I've said for weeks, I think they're good. The only game they lost was that weird game, which was a, a 10.30 Pacific time kickoff in the, at night. It ended close to 2 a.m. because of lightning storms. I like Washington minus 10 here. Bama Ole Miss over. I'll just tell you this real quick. Tua, Bama's offense are awesome. The defense is truly susceptible in this one, so I like the over of 61.5. I also like the Clemson-North Carolina under. Clemson is going into a bye. Their offense isn't playing very good. They just want to win this game and get out. The defense is phenomenal. I think they win something like 28-3 to and get out of Dodge. So those are my picks. Again, if you're going to gamble this week, I should mention mybookie.ag, mybookie.ag, promo code TORRES, you get a 100% sign-up bonus. So you put in 50 bucks, you get 50 bucks back. You get you get 100 total, right? So you put in 50, you get that 50 plus an extra 50. So 100% sign-up bonus, mybookie.ag, promo code Torres. And again, really quick, my picks are as follows. Maryland plus 6.5 at home against Penn State. Arkansas plus 23.5 against Texas A&M. Texas Tech, Oklahoma under 71. USC at Washington, I like Washington minus 10. Ole Miss at Alabama, I like the over of 61.5. Clemson, North Carolina, I like the under of 61. And Ohio State, Nebraska, I like the under of 67 with the possibility that by the end of this game, we're talking about Ohio State as the best team in college football. And never forget, if you want to gamble on this game, mybookie.ag, promo code Torres. All right, that's all. Well, that's not all because Bob Stoops is coming up. I want to thank you guys for listening to today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Before I get to Coach Stoops, I want to remind you, please make sure to subscribe to the show. Do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, Spotify, Napster. Uh, no, not Napster, but every other platform that actually exists, go ahead and subscribe there. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Also, Aaron Torres podcast on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And of course, if you have questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Bob Stoops coming up. Shout out to Torrent Craig. And again, Bob Stoops, I'm not going to lie, it gets a little dicey there at the end of the interview, but it's a fun interview before that. We talk about Adrian Peterson. We talk about Baker Mayfield. We talk about Lincoln Riley. And most importantly, maybe not most importantly, we do talk about Mark Stoops, his thoughts on what his brother has done in Kentucky, what's next for Mark Stoops. But before we get to Bob Stoops, 
I want to welcome back the return of one of our favorite sponsors here at the Aerotora Sports Podcast, Simple Context. Look, life is busy, and one thing that shouldn't take away your free time is ordering context, and Simple Context is here to help. Just hop online, visit simplecontext.com backslash Torres, enter your prescription information, and within minutes, your new contacts will be in the mail. You can even take a vision test if you need one for just $20, a steep discount compared to the hundreds you might pay at the doctor's office. Here is the best part. For listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Simple Contacts is here to give you a great deal. If you use the promo code Torres, you get $20 off your first purchase. I've told this story before, but when we first did our ads with Simple Contacts a few months ago, I had a buddy sign up for Simple Contacts, and not only was the process painless, but when his contacts arrived, he literally texted me, he goes, Aaron, this is insane. He goes, I got the exact same contacts I always do, only it was faster and cheaper than I usually pay. You too can save, just like my buddy did. You can even text me if you have my number. Tell me all about it. But you can save too and save more using simplecontacts.com promo code Torres. If you're serious about saving time and money, visit again, simplecontacts.com backslash Torres or enter Torres at checkout and get $20 off your first purchase. But remember, this isn't a replacement for your periodic eye exams. Simplecontacts.com backslash Torres or Torres at checkout to get $20 off your first purchase. Thank you again to Simple Contacts. And now, here is the legend, Bob Stoops. All right, and joining me on the phone now, the former head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, here to talk about his book, No Excuses, The Making of a Head Coach. Bob Stoops is on the phone. Coach Stoops, how are you doing today? Great to be with you this morning. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And first of all, I appreciate you doing this at all. Uh, Opening chapter of the book, there is a direct line where you say, I would rather eat green flies than do a media interview. So I hope this isn't too painful for you, first of all, to start. No, no. Great to be with you. Only you, though. Okay, okay. Anyway, I'm glad to do it. Well, fantastic. It is. I'll say this. I've read the book cover to cover. It's an awesome book. Uh, You take it. Uh, so deep in so many different directions, your family, your time as a player at Iowa, assistant coach, head coach. Um, why now? Obviously, you've been away from the game for three years. You're going to get back in this summer a little bit with the XFL. But why did you decide at this point of your life, at this point in your career, to write this book? Well, first of all, I would never have taken the time if I was still uh, you know, still coaching at Oklahoma. I just you know, every day was spent trying to make the program better. So uh, I've had the time to do it. And I've been asked uh, so many times here's a couple of questions. One, my path and, and how did this happen for me? Because a lot of other coaches in, in, in different levels are want to know, because they want to do it. Like, I want to become a head coach. How, how did you do it? How did it happen for you? And I can't really tell people in a five-minute conversation how this all happened. Uh, as well as a master quite often by even business people. How, how did you turn around? How did you change the culture and turn Oklahoma around so fast, uh, you know, going undefeated in our second year after having so many bad years uh, ahead of us being there? You know, that was uh, that's also uh, a big question I'm, I'm hit with a, a lot, as well as how did we remain so consistent for those this past 20 years, you know, um, you know, those are questions that, again, are just all hard to answer in a five-minute conversation. So I thought, hey, I'll lay out my path and how we, we changed the culture and how we've kept it so consistent through the years and just put it all out there in a book. And um, and Gene Wojciechowski was incredibly great to work with. Uh, you know, he's such a he's such a great writer and, 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 and a great person to work with. When you do look back on your time at Oklahoma, I mean, there were so many things. Obviously, you win a national championship, you play for a few more, you have some unbelievable players during your time at at the University of Oklahoma, so many first-round draft picks, guys in the NFL, Heisman Trophy winners. What do you, if if somebody does ask you in a two-minute conversation the best memories from Oklahoma, uh, how do you answer it? What are the things that really reflecting back stand out? You mean some of my best memories? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the early year, uh, the first year, 99, getting the program turned, I think a huge moment for us that's overlooked was the Texas A&M, our homecoming game. Uh, you know, A&M was 
know, they're Big 12 champs the year year before. And, uh, you know, a team that had been kicking the heck out of Oklahoma at the time. And we, we, you know, made a stand that we're finally going to, we're changing this. And we beat them 51 to 6, I believe. And that's when I felt we really got over the hump that we, the program really started to turn in that first year when in, in that game. And then we go on and go undefeated all the games the year, the year after where we have an undefeated season to win the national championship. Uh, the Nebraska game, I think, was the, the late October. Uh, we had had three straight games of Kansas State, Texas, and, and Nebraska, and all all were ranked teams. And we we beat them uh, beat them all in consecutive weeks. Um, that was also a huge moment to really change and turn the program. One of the guys that that played, uh, I don't know if it's an integral role, but certainly one of your most high-profile players was Adrian Peterson. There were so many stories in the book. One thing that I had forgotten, which you kind of brought back to life in the book, uh, Adrian Peterson, this was one of the wildest stories I think I've, I've ever heard in, in college football recruiting. Fans uh, love the recruiting stories, but Adrian Peterson's father was, I believe, actually in prison at the time that you recruited him. Obviously, has since gotten out, has gotten his life together, but I, I was amazed. I had forgotten that story. One, just your memories of, of working with Adrian, but then two, specifically recruiting him, because I have to imagine, with all due respect to Adrian and his father, who again uh, has you know, been out of prison for years, living his life now that that was unlike probably any recruiting visit you had ever done right it, it was in that uh in that he was uh incarcerated at the time and we um meet out in the yard uh picnic table out in the yard uh you know and at the time in texas and he was in a in a prison there in texas but uh his dad's a wonderful guy uh yeah. he was uh really recruiting him was had a great visit he didn't yeah, his dad was awesome about not wanting anything promised to Adrian that he's going to have to work for it, and um, you know, and it was it was a great recruiting visit. And Bonita, his mother, was there as well, and one of his younger brothers. And uh, so we had a we had a great visit. And Adrian is one of the easier guys to recruit. He didn't want you calling him every day and things like that. Yeah. He didn't he didn't care about that. He knew he wanted to go to OU. He said he goes he he wanted to be challenged. And he knew he knew we would push him, and uh, so he was great to 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 recruit. And his dad was wonderful, like I said. And his dad did uh, was released uh, a couple of years uh, after Adrian was with us, and he would come to the games and practice here and there. And was 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 a great parent, and uh, was you know was a fun guy to be with. Maybe the easiest recruit that you ever had, Baker Mayfield. So he just basically showed up on campus, right? And you guys weren't even totally aware until he was there that this former walk-on at Texas Tech had enrolled and wanted to be part of your program? Yeah, we had heard the, the rumors that he was coming to Oklahoma, but nobody had contacted us. And sure enough, in my first uh, team meeting in my the second semester of school, uh, where we get all the players back for the second semester, he was at the team meeting okay. and came up and introduced himself to me after the meeting. He said, I'm Baker Mayfield. I said, you sure as hell are, aren't you? And I said, he goes, uh, he said he wanted to walk on. I said, well, I'm glad you're here, and you're going to have every opportunity that everybody else has. And I had watched him play. You know, he had won five games, I think it was, for Tech. I was like, man, I'm glad this guy's here. And sure enough, you know, we heck, it didn't take us maybe a month, and we put him on scholarship before we even got to spring ball, but it just you could just tell the way he was working out that, hey, this is a guy we need to we need to put on scholarship and have here. Was there a moment uh, in that first spring? I mean, I think he I, – I mean, I remember he won the job uh, going into that fall camp, and at the time he had Trevor Knight, who had been successful. Uh, was there a moment or a play or a practice where you, got, where you realized this guy is just a little bit different? Yeah, well, he didn't play the first year. He had to from transferring. So he, when when he was directing the scout team against our defense that year, he had to sit out. You could tell early on that he's really special. Just players, he got that excitement, that it factor, that players around him play better when he's in there. And then he he could throw the ball. He, he's so accurate. He got such a strong and quick arm. And he could scramble. He does all the things you see now, but we, we could see that early on uh, when he was going against our defense running the scout team. 
How about Lincoln Riley? I mean, he comes from kind of a, you know, he comes from the lineage of Mike Leach and all that. But but um, what was it? And you obviously, for people who don't know, Mike Leach was your first offensive coordinator at Texas Tech. But what was it about Lincoln Riley? Because obviously the last three years, everybody has really gotten to know who this guy is. What did you see in him early that you thought, okay, this guy at the very least is going to be an excellent play caller for me for this program. Then, of course, later on, you obviously handed over the program to him later on. Yeah, just all of it, just uh, his poise, his, uh, you know, toughness and competitiveness, uh, all of it together, you know, working, you know, working with him for two years that I had with him. I, I knew, you know, he's going to be a head coach, and, and I, that's really the reason I felt comfortable walking away, that I knew the right guy was there to continue to push the program forward. I knew he would he would do that, and, um, you know, and, it, and it's happening. He's, he's an incredibly bright, smart not just play caller and offensive mind, but even as a head coach, he does a great job, and he's going to continue to have a huge future. One last guy I want to talk to you about, and again, the book is called No Excuses, The Making of a Head Coach. Um, another head coach in college football, your brother Mark Stoops. I mean, I, I think that he has done an unbelievably, almost underrated job uh, at the University of Kentucky. They're coming off a 10-win season. Uh, either it's, Whether it's from afar, whether it's from your conversations with him, how proud are you of him? Because I look at him, very tough job, and he's obviously raised the bar at Kentucky, and now, like I said, coming off a 10-win season. Yeah, no, I'm, of course, very proud of Mark, my brother Mark and uh, the job he's doing at Kentucky. And, um, you know, he, he's done an awesome job. He and his assistant coaches there have really uh, built that program the last uh, they're going to continue to to do well, and uh, yeah, it isn't just one year. They're they're you know year in and year out here. They've been playing consistently. They've been you know a tough team to play, and uh, continue to win. You know, that was a tough one last week there yeah. on the you know the cusp uh, close to to beating Florida there, and so they're they're not going away. And he's going to continue to do a great job there. One of the things you you talk about really throughout the book is that you had plenty of opportunities throughout your career to consider leaving for other coaching opportunities, whether it was in the NFL, whether it was other college jobs. Obviously, as Mark continues to have success, uh, those options are available to him. Now, one, I would never ask you to speak for Mark, but do you have any advice? Uh, has, you know, and I'm not even asking if he has come to you, but if he did, you know, what kind of advice would you have? And then also just kind of in the bigger picture, again, I know you don't want to necessarily speak for him, but do you get the sense that maybe he could potentially make a career of it at Kentucky like you did at Oklahoma? I uh, sure he can. I, I think every I, all circumstances are different. His life is different than mine, and um, you know I always trusted uh, the people closest to me and uh, my wife. Uh, you know, and and always kind of evaluated my own circumstances uh, when you know when weighing an option to to do something different with a different job. You know, the bottom line is everyone. You know, you've got to live your life and be true to yourself and uh, and the people closest to you and. And what's best for them as well. So I, I, I would, I wouldn't tell anyone, give anyone advice on it because no one knows your own life better than you do. So uh, I would just say trust your, your own instincts and your own, um, and your family and what you, you feels best for you. Very good. Wrap up here with a couple quick questions. One, uh, you are kind of making a, a return to coaching this this summer. Like I said, you will be in the XFL with the Dallas franchise. Uh, you've been away from college for a few years, and, and I believe all your kids are out of the house. Uh, was this just the right time to get back in in some way, shape, or form? And with no uh, disrespect to the XFL, maybe it's not the 365-day-a-year commitment that college football is? Well, it's just uh, it was just right for me. I, I believe in the leadership of uh, you know Vince McMahon, the owner, and Oliver Luck, our commissioner. Uh, they've got a great vision for exciting, fun football that people are going to want to watch, and and I want to be a part of it. And uh, you know, working with older players, uh, you know, you think about the you know the last five guys cut from every NFL roster. Those those are really good football players. So having a chance to work with them and. Uh, so anyway, all, all of it uh, just seemed to fit right now, and I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity. I think it's going to be a lot of, uh, it's going to be really exciting and fun to, to coach in it and, and to watch it. Last question, you know, you are still kind of a very young guy, uh, 59 years old. 
do you, you know, listen, I know you've been asked a million times about coaching in college again, but, but how do you envision these next, uh, you know, couple decades of your life? Because you are a young guy, you have been removed, and I know you've been very public about there's only so much uh, golf that you can play and all that kind of stuff. Would college ever interest you again? Is there any thought that maybe down the road now, like I said, your kids are out of the house, all that kind of stuff that you would think about college again? Well, this, is, this isn't, uh, I'm not doing this for, for some avenue. You know, back. Sure. I, I don't need this to get an avenue back. Of course, yeah. So the bottom line is, I'm I'm excited about this opportunity, and you, you know, you don't know what you're going to be doing five years from now either. Absolutely. So uh, no one does. You know, a good Lord's the only one who knows what you know what the rest of my path will be, and I'll wait and find out. All right. The name of the book again is No Excuses: The Making of a Head Coach by Bob Stoops. As I said, I read the book cover to cover. Really enjoy it. Takes you through his entire career. Uh, his time with his family in Youngstown, Ohio, the University of Iowa, his assistant coach, head coach. Coach, I think you got to run. I think you got more calls coming in, but I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.